I want to welcome up here uh, both our scripture re reader, Carl Visser, and also um, Jonathan Lane. Uh, Jonathan is our deacon of youth ministry here at Trailview. Um, so if you have a teenager, um, you probably are very familiar with Jonathan. He also plays bass for our worship team and serves in a variety of other capacities. And uh, Jonathan has a heart and love for God's Word for his church, and uh, I, I hope and longing one day to um, possibly serve the church in ministry somewhere. And and uh, as a as a pastor and as a church, we want to and strive and work and labor to raise up and develop leaders, uh, both for our church and for other churches where the Lord may lead them in the future. And uh, and so um, a part of that is uh, helping these guys uh, test themselves and let the word, Lord, the Holy Spirit work through them and also um, help them sharpen the gifts that the Lord has given them. And and so uh, we've asked Jonathan if he would consider uh, preaching for Trellview uh, this Sunday, and he agreed to that a few months back. Has been hard and working on. It. And uh, and and so he's uh, preaching for this, uh, preaching from Psalm 46 for us this morning. And so I wanted to introduce him to you, a member of Trellview, uh, one of our deacons. Uh, and uh, when I'm excited uh, for what you uh, have prepared, and what the Lord has uh, to say to us. I want to encourage you guys to um, receive that from the Lord this morning as well. Uh, and then I'll invite Carl up here, and he will dive into Psalm 46 with for us. would stand during the reading of our word. I appreciate it. Thank you. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You may be seated. I'm going to pray over and for Jonathan before he dives into Psalm 46. So, Father, would you uh, open our hearts this morning? Uh, would you help us to be uh, uh, receptive to what you would have us hear? Uh, God, that as, as Jonathan uh, opens your word and uh, speaks, that you would guide his mind, that you'd guide his, his mouth, that he would um, be helpful and instructive, that he would... Um, be filled with the Holy Spirit and clearly communicate what you would have for us today. Um, and God, would you help us to be receptive and, and ready to, and eager to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Trailview. And uh, I'm so glad and excited to be here with you all this morning. And if you know anything about me, then you know I'm someone who loves history. And if you didn't know about it, that about me, well, there's your little fun fact from, uh, about me for the day. 
And there's uh, specifically two moments in history that I think we will look back on in about 50 years' time and say, these were the two moments where the world and the people who lived in it completely changed. The first one was in 1440, when the Gutenberg printing press was invented. And this, the, the Gutenberg printing press being invented was essentially the starter, or you could say the lighter fluid, for what would be the Protestant Reformation and the Enlightenment, because it allowed for publishing of books and pamphlets to be gone on a wide scale. And it allowed for people to have these things on a more wider scale. And so this was, we could see it as an information revolution. And the, the second date I think we'll look back on is 2007. Now you might ask yourself, why 2007? Why the big jump from 1440 all the way to 2007? Well, the, there's one big example of why I think this. And it all started on January 9th, 2007, when Steve Jobs, in his famous black turtleneck, jeans, and glasses and shaved head, walked out onto a stage and announced the iPhone. And everybody who was born before 2007 knows that the world completely changed after the iPhone. It was the iPhone and other inventions like it that helped revolutionize the way our world is today to, uh, for us to go into this digital age that we live today. And uh, now anyone with a smartphone has more access to information now than ever thought of as possible before the digital age. And we have access to a slew of products and services built into our phones that make our day-to-day -day jobs and lives more productive. Um, and we are able to communicate with each other instantly without even having to say an audible word. And we have every single form of entertainment we could think of right at our fingertips instantly. But I would argue that the blessing uh, of this new information and digital age we are living in now has had a terrible side effect on us all. I don't think it's a stretch to say that we live in the most anxious, busy, overwhelmed, and stressed out time in history. And it does not help that we are being constantly bombarded with a culture screaming at us that you can find your true peace, happiness, truth, zen, whatever you're searching for if you just grind, grind, grind at your job and your 12 side hustles or get your dream body, or even support the right social cause, or even that new piece of technology that you just know will change your life for you. None of those things, nor anything else, you might find on a billboard driving down the highway or on an ad on Instagram, will provide you that deep soul sigh that we're all trying to find. And I truly believe that all of us at some point, maybe even right now, have mental, physical, and spiritual exhaustion from the constant noise and speed of this world that we live in. And we have to go, on top of this, we have to go through things like losing a job or a loved one, or that difficult relationship with a child or a spouse that feels like you're just stuck in a cycle of frustration. Or uh, the fear of a community tragedy, or one happening to your own community. And when we add the negative 
side effects of living in the digital age with the hardships of life, it is a recipe for feeling hopeless, exhausted, and burned out. And the greatest irony of living in a time of social media, feeling incredibly lonely. So you might ask yourself, is there any hope for us? How can I find peace when it feels like everything is just falling apart? My answer to both of these is a resounding yes. And in this morning's passage, Psalm 46, we're going to be looking at God's call to us to be still and know Him. And we're going to see how when we follow this call, it will lead to peace and hope, even when the literal earth falls apart, when countries go to war, we can have confidence in God as the sovereign king over all the earth. So our main point for today is going to be, be still and know God. And the flow for this morning is going to look like us first looking at the first half of that, be still, and then secondly, know God, know Him. And how we can get a great picture of what God is like inside of Psalm 46. And then we'll wrap things up by looking at a couple of next steps for how we can apply this. So before we jump in, let's go ahead and read all of Psalm 46 again. And if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it to Psalm 46. And if you do not, we'll have the words here on the screen. So verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has met, made desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Now stop. I'm going to read this next line slowly. I want us to feel the weight of what God is calling us here. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, at first glance, this may seem a little bit odd. When someone tells me to be still, my gut reaction is they're going to be to completely stop whatever I'm doing and stand there as if I'm a deer standing in headlights and stare around aimlessly. But, well, maybe that's just me. So what is God meaning when he says to be still? One example of stillness we see in Scripture is when Jesus and the disciples hop on a boat one evening after a long day of teaching. Now, when they get on this boat, this massive storm comes and blows through. And you can just kind of imagine yourself there with the disciples. Imagine it as like a, that kind of rainstorm that our meteorologists like to tell us it's going to happen, but that never actually does. This is that storm. You can imagine and hear like the, the wood on the boat creaking, as the wind pounds it, and you can smell the water and feel the wetness and the cold of the rain as the water gets splashed on you, the disciples are actively 
just losing their minds. They are terrified. They think they are about to die, seriously. And so then you could imagine them going down to Jesus, um, who was in the, in the boat, just sopping wet from the storm and out of breath telling him, Jesus, do something, do something. And then I like to imagine Jesus just slowly wake up, look around the room, and just get up and walk out. And then he does something that's pretty incredible. He gets out on top of the boat, and he says, Peace, be still. So what does this tell us about stillness? Well, when Jesus is commanding the storm to be still, he's telling the storm to go from chaos to peace, from thrashing waves and claps of thunder to calm waters and silence. We can see that to be, at, to be still is to be at peace. So that, therefore, when God is calling us to be still, he's saying, take a breath, stop fighting, no more striving, come to a quiet, and find peace in him. This call to be still completely contradicts what our sinful nature, our culture, and the world around us tells us to do. When we tell ourselves that just one more car, or when I get my dream house, or find my dream husband or wife, I can finally be happy. God says to be still and look to Him. When our culture tells us that we need to be busy and successful to find happiness, God says slow down and find joy in Him. When the world as we know it feels like it's crumbling down on top of us, God says that true hope and peace are found in himself. So that's the first half of God's call to us in Psalm 46. So let's look at the second half, know God. And there are six characteristics of God that we see inside uh, in Psalm 46. And they are one, refuge. Two, strength. Three, very present help. Four, the Lord of hosts. Five, God of Jacob. And six, fortress. And we're going to walk through each of those, starting with refuge. So look with me at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. These should be words of immense comfort to us. This is not just a metaphor of what God could be like. This is, these are statements of what God is like. Our God is a God of comfort and safety. When it feels like there's nowhere else to go, when it feels like we have no home, no place to lay our heads, God is our refuge. Now, there's a, a time when I was a little boy, uh, our family went through a great tragedy. Not great in like, oh, oh my gosh, it was so awesome and so good. Great as in the magnitude of the tragedy. Uh, our town that we were living in had a wildfire that came and burned through, and even if you were lucky enough to not have your house burned down or to lose all of your animals and all of your crops, it still affected everyone who lived in the town. But sadly, our family was not one of the lucky ones who got to keep their home. Now, I don't really remember a lot of details about that time. I don't even really remember the house we lived in all that much. But what I do remember is how I felt when that was happening. I remember feeling scared afraid that we were going to be homeless for forever, that everything that I had known before that 
was gone in an instant, just like that. And so when I found out that a family friend of ours was going to let us come and stay with them, the feeling of relief and joy that I, I had, even, I, even as a little kid, remember feeling those things, was, was immense. And I specifically remember one moment when our family was in the room, you know, cuddling up with each other, watching the movie Guarding Tess with Nicolas Cage, and just feeling safe. I felt protected. I felt like this is my refuge. Even though we had lost everything, everything we known was gone. But I felt safe. And we can have that same feeling of safety and comfort despite whatever else may be happening because we have God and He is our refuge. I can always look back on that moment and see how good God's provision was for me and my family. Even when we quite literally had lost everything, He provided a bed and a roof over our heads when we had none. And it doesn't, you don't have to have a similar story to me uh, to feel that safety and comfort. You can just trust and have faith in the fact that the Lord God of the Bible is your refuge. And then we see God as our strength. And when life brings something that seems impossible to handle or deal with, when we know that our own mind, resources, network, job security, 401k, money in the bank, and our, the health of our bodies cannot help us, and when we feel like we have no power over the hard things of life, God does. He is our strength. It is not our strength plus God, plus whatever God can afford to give us. It is all His. We have no strength or power apart from God. And He has the strength to bring, the strength and power to bring any nations, any and all nations, down to their knees. He has the power to provide water in the desert when there would be none to be found. He can end wars and make His name known throughout the whole world. None of these things we can do on our own strength. And then when we feel alone, isolated, or forgotten, when it feels like no one cares enough about us to help and be there when we need them most, God is there. He is present. God is with us. He would not just be a little present or present whenever our schedules line up right. He is a very present help in all times of trouble. Now let's go ahead and jump down to verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And now, if you're following along on the screen or have an ESV Bible translation or one similar, you might wonder what a Lord of hosts means. And why is it important that the Lord of hosts is with us? Well, I can tell you that it does not mean that God is the Lord over all restaurant hosts or your mom at Christmas time. <laughs> While both of those can be true, that's not what the psalmist is getting at here. Another way for us to translate this phrase is Lord of Armies. The image that comes to my mind when I think about this is a general leading his great armies, numbering in the millions, down a hill ready to conquer their enemy below. The armies of God outnumber any army that we could muster. We even see this in verse 9 of our passage. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. 
He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. There is no war or weapon of war uh, that can defeat our God. And the best part of this is that the Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of armies is with us on our side. We are not left to our own devices to defend ourselves from the power of sin, the world, or the devil. We have the Lord of hosts with us, and he is a conqueror. Next in verse 7, we see God called the God of Jacob. And this being here is, of course, no accident. The psalmist isn't just shouting out the name of Jacob. There is a very specific Jacob that the psalmist has in mind. The Jacob he is referring to is Jacob, the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham, and the father of Joseph. Jacob's place in the story of the Bible is an interesting one. For time's sake, we're not going to get into the whole thing. But to get the gist of it, Jacob makes some very poor and at times messed up decisions. He is far from perfect. He lies and cheats his older brother Esau out of his birthright as firstborn and the blessing from their father Isaac before Isaac was to pass away. And that's just at the beginning of Jacob's story. But there's something interesting that happens. The same promise that God gave to his grandfather Abraham, who, by the way, was far from perfect himself, the promise that through Abraham's family, all the nations were going to find God's blessing. This covenant God made with Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac is essentially God's rescue plan to rescue and bless his people, his rebellious people, through Abraham's family. And the fulfillment of that promise is through the Savior, Jesus Christ. And for God to be a God of Jacob means that he's a God of, that keeps his promises to people. He doesn't break his covenant. It also means that he is a God of deep love and compassion and grace for his people, even when they mess up really badly and rebel against him. He has the plan to save us from our rebellion uh, through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And lastly, we see uh, that God is our fortress, and he is a fortress that we can put our full trust in a fortress that no army can bring down, a fortress that is a refuge and strength, a very real and present help in the middle of trouble, a fortress where we do not have to fear, but feel safe and secure behind its walls, a fortress that even when the earth is crumbling down and everything seems to be falling apart, it is still standing untouched. This fortress is the Lord God, our Heavenly Father, the Savior Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. God is a fortress that even when it seems that life cannot get any worse, we can put our trust in Him, the fortress that will never fail. And so far this morning, we have seen that to be still and to know God is God's call to us to slow down and find peace and trust in who God is, our refuge and strength a very present help, Lord of hosts, and fortress. So where do we go from here? Well, if you're with us this morning and do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know that I'm glad you're here. And my call to you this morning is to repent, meaning turn away 
from your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus. Because without Jesus, without confessing him as Lord with your heart and mouth, you can't experience this true peace we're talking about. Um, You can try meditation or mindfulness or minimalism or anything else, but none of those things, nor, um, nor anything you can think of, can help you find the type of peace and hope we've been talking about this morning. And confessing Jesus as Lord looks like turning away from sin, and then th- that saying you don't want to live your old life anymore. You turn away from a life full of sin and, and turn to a life of hope and joy in Jesus. And saying no to sin and yes to Jesus, you go from calling yourself Lord and the captain of your life and soul to having faith and trust in Jesus as the Lord of your life and soul. And then you deeply treasure him. You desire to be a disciple of Jesus, meaning you want to be more like him, be with him, become more like him, and do what he did. We sometimes see accepting Jesus as how we would accept going through a surgery. You do it once, and then it's done. It's over. But making Jesus Lord of your life is completely different from that. It means deeply enjoying him daily as you spend time with him. And you will be more like him. And when you are more like him, you're going to want to do the things that he did. And if anyone has any questions about what it means to become a disciple of Jesus, or if you feel like today is the day that you want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, our pastors and some others will be in the back, and they will be eager to talk and pray with you. And then my call to those of here this morning who do know Jesus as their Lord and Savior is for us to put our main point today of be still and know God into practice. And we do this by practicing the spiritual disciplines, in particular, silence and solitude. And John Mark Homer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, describes silence and solitude as silence from both internal and external noise, and solitude as, as not as isolation, but being alone with God and your own soul. This can look like going to your favorite chair in your house with a cup of coffee in your Bible before the kids wake up or before you have to go to work um, and quiet the internal noise going on in your head and sit in the external silence of no kids or no co-workers and enjoy God's presence to get to know Him intimately. Now, every one of us will practice silence and solitude differently. Some can only do a shorter amount of time. Some want to do a longer amount of time. You can, do, you can do it in your house. You can do it out in nature. You can read your Bible or take some time to pray or even just sit in the silence and do nothing. And, but enjoy Jesus. But I want to suggest three things for everyone who has never practiced um, silence and solitude but wants to. One, talk to someone who is, who's practiced silence and solitude. Ask them how they do it. What does it look like for them? Ask them what has worked and what hasn't. And if you can't think of that person off the top of your head, then feel free to ask one of our pastors or someone you know that is experienced in their faith. Chances are they probably have some rhythm of silence and solitude with their walk with Jesus. Two, make time for it. 
This looks like saying, okay, this week I'm going to set my alarm 30 minutes earlier than normal. So I have time to get dressed, make a cup of coffee or tea, and give myself five to 10 minutes of silence and solitude with God. The chances of you actually practicing and enjoying silence and solitude go way up if you make a specific time to it and stick to it. And lastly, don't give up. Like any good habit, it can be really difficult to get off the ground and running. There will be days when you have your time set aside for silence and solitude, and the entire day does not go into the plan, and everything gets thrown out the window. Or quieting the internal noise becomes extremely difficult, and you find yourself thinking about that embarrassing, embarrassing incident from years ago. Remember that it will be okay, that everything doesn't have to go to plan and you can try again the next day. So I'm going to go ahead and ask Pastor Brandon to come back up. And this first song, we're going, to, we're going to sing Psalm 46. And this is a chance for us to worship our God for the characteristics we looked at this morning. And if you feel the need to stay seated and focus on the be still aspect of this morning, then feel free to do so and just meditate on who God is because to be still and to know God is to take our hope and focus off of ourselves and the world and to put them squarely on God as our fortress. And as, our, um, and as we practice silence and solitude, remember that it's just a tool to help us experience be still and know God, even in the middle of the hardest troubles of life. So let's pray and sing. God, thank you for today and for everyone who is here this morning. I pray for those who are struggling with the mental, physical, and spiritual exhaustion of this life, whether they're single and working, have four kids, struggle with finances. I pray that they know and remember who you are and that they can trust that to be still and to know you is where the peace is and not whatever goal of life that they have set for themselves. Help us to remember how good you are to us and how through your son Jesus we can have real peace and hope. And it's in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.